Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tech on Reg. Uh, this episode, we're back to a subject area near and dear to my heart, and that is innovation in the law, the legal industry, and all of the changes uh, that we've needed to make over the past several years. Actually, the very one of the first or second episodes uh, of Tech on Reg, I was talking with Professor Dan Lena uh, about innovation uh, in the law and uh, why it was okay to not be scared of robot lawyers. Um, and we're going on like a we're going on a year later, and I am really excited to have with me today. I think a really well known name in the legal innovation uh, industry. Anyone who's done any work in legal technology is going to know the name Joe Borstein. So welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you for having me, Dara. I'm really excited. Yeah. So you guys have known Joe probably in a variety of capacities, um, a columnist for Above the Law, formerly of uh, Pangea and then EY. But we're here to talk about Joe, uh, Joe's most recent uh, venture, and that is as his co-founder of Lex Fusion. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, LexFusion, which launched now about exactly a month ago, is a new concept in legal innovation. Basically, for the past, I guess, five or 10 years, as I've worked in, invested in, advised and written about legal tech and global legal services, I've become uh, the the uh, industry punching bag for just tell me what's going on here. What's going on there? Who should I be talking to in, in this space? And, and, by, the, um, and by the way, everyone, Joe's being modest. Uh, when he, when he says that he actually has like put his money where his mouth is and, and actually made material investments. in what is it like six legal technology companies? Yeah, that's right. Um, sits on advisory boards uh, and also sits on the board of the future of the legal profession at university of Pennsylvania school of law. Right. Yep, absolutely. And uh, right. yeah, those have been some of the most kind of fun, rewarding experiences of, of my career. But, you know, as that career went on, as I, you know, started in legal outsourcing in uh, 2010, as time went on, the uh, original thesis, which was obviously labor arbitrage and being able to do kind of more with less expensive assets, uh, started bending towards expertise and technology. So as Pangea 3 grew to over a thousand lawyers to, I think we peaked at something about 1500 lawyers, we were working on virtually every piece of legal technology and seeing uh, the benefits of things like predictive coding, uh, automated abstraction and contracts, enterprise CLM systems. And, you know, unlike any given company or any given law firm, we were seeing multiple systems at once and getting real hands-on experience with how they actually worked and how they actually benefited the client. So it was really fun. And uh, uh, kind of a side gig besides investing was just just answering people's questions about what is really good out there. Uh, as time went on and the tech has gotten better and better and better and cheaper and faster, um, I think we've come to a point where every law firm 
and every corporate council should be at least engaging with with about 10 or 15 categories of technology. Um, and, and I thought, I wonder if I could put together a, a business that conglomerates the best in class uh, private companies that are, you know, uh, fighting tooth and nail to make each individual category of legal technology better and better um, and bring those, help bring those to market, which has always kind of been, been my specialty. Um, so we, we created LexFusion. Uh, so far, we, we've brought together seven companies, everything from uh, litigation services to litigation technology, contract services, contract technology, automated timekeeping, outsourcing and technology for kind of run the company law firm stuff. So we have an incredible portfolio of solutions that, you know, after our research and our experience uh, with over 10 years in legal innovation, we think are fantastic. And we're excited to be able to, you know, walk into companies and walk into law firms and say, if you're not paying attention to these areas, let us help you. Let us, let us talk to you about that. And, you know, hopefully you like the companies that we like, but if not, um, we're going to talk to you about the, the next batch. And this is going to be, it's like a living company, right? Like we, we, we have our, our, our members now, but in two or three years, maybe we're bringing on members um, uh, w- with technologies we haven't even dreamed of yet. So this is kind of a forever job, bringing new ideas to market, which we think, uh, w- we think that this kind of explosion in innovation and legal is going to happen at least for the rest of our careers, maybe longer. And, and we hope to kind of be people's guides through that transition period and hopefully help them practice law better and and maybe make an extra few shekels. Well, innovation in the law is definitely, uh, has been, while we feel, those of us in the <laughs> legal industry, that it's you know progressed rapidly over the past few years compared to a lot of other industries, it's sort of moved at a snail's pace. Glacial, um, glacial might be a, a glacial. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the, wheels, the wheels of justice move slowly in legal innovation too. That's right. Uh, you can see that played out in so many different ways uh, in terms of the amount of capital, uh, you know, that's that's been raised. I think I was reading some article, I forget where, about, you know, calling legal tech. It was like fintechs, like redheaded stepchild <laughs> brother. Like I, I, yeah. I, can't, I can't even remember what sort of like rude term was used to describe like the amount of money that was raised and invested in legal technology companies as opposed to other technology companies. And part of that maybe because, and I'm sort of interested in, in your two cents on this, is if just because like lawyers, like we're just so bad at it sometimes, right? <laughs> we're we're so bad at accepting technology, accepting that there might be a piece of software technology that can make us better than what we are because I mean, let's face it, there's there's a bibles of lawyer jokes for a reason. We think- <laughs> We think very highly of ourselves, don't we? Yeah. So I, I think you're pointing out to one of the core, but I think one of many uh, barriers to progress. So I would I would bucket that as like the cultural barriers. Um, there is certainly a, a culture uh, of, of precedent, which is what we're taught. Like we're taught generally, stare decisis, you should kind of do what came before. That's actually part of our training. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's there's a lot of value in consistency and a, and a lack of change in the law, you know, but for times a, a, a of extreme upheaval. Um, I think that is definitely one of the core things that holds it back. But there's there are really other big reasons. And you touched on them. Capital. 
not only is there very little uh, you know venture and other capital, but but because of the regulatory regime, another problem, um, it is actually illegal for non-lawyers to invest even alongside lawyers in anything that gives legal advice. So because historically there was only one uh, legal organization, really, and that was a law firm. They were inherently giving legal advice. Now you have what we're, you know, we're thinking of as like a Cambrian explosion uh, of uh, new models, and and most of the new models, especially in the U.S., we can get to that in, in comparing regulatory regimes. Most of the new models carve out. The practice of law, um, and they uh, they are bringing value to the component parts that together get you to the practice of law. But still, nobody, at least in the U.S., is investing in anything that actually gives you legal advice. Which to me is a shame. And and and, and, we'll, well, and you know, I kind of hope that that changes over time. But I mean, so state by state, some of the 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 ethics committees are trying to, you know, push that boundary a little bit more. And I think it really evolves out of the, you know, we don't want non-lawyers giving legal advice. That's, that's bad Mm -hmm. um, because like we go to school and we have licenses and obviously that licenses make us, you know, perfect and excellent at what we do without sort of, uh, and and they don't want a lawyer's uh, advice or impact to a client to be influenced by anything other than that lawyer's judgment, right? Like that's sort of like the basis of the ethics rules. But on a state-by-state basis, it is sort of like there are a few states sort of dipping their toes into, well, maybe this is okay in limited circumstances and we make sure that the proper oversights are okay. But in terms of investing in capital, you can't scale anything in like just one state, right? You really need it to be sort of a full-scale sweeping uh, change to the practice, um, at least in the U.S. And, you know, that's not always the case in in the U.K., where, for example, we've watched the big four really undertake lots of things that we would consider in the U.S. legal services. And uh, because of the way they scale and the technology that, you know, they're able to apply can do things at least uh, faster and maybe less expensive than a law firm. I'm not going to go so far as to say they do it better. Um, but certainly much more efficiently. Yeah. And, and actually in, um, in, in most countries with modern economies these days, and certainly most that, that were, were seated by the, by British common law, it's actually now the U S is actually the rare exception where you can't even take outside capital if you issue legal advice. So it's absolutely the UK, but it's also most of Europe. It's also Australia. Um, it's really, it's really the majority of the world, even, even, uh, uh, Canada and most of Latin America. Um, there is, it's, it's more liberal than we actually have by far the most conservative system. And while I do think the regulatory regime uh, is well-meaning, um, I do think it holds back a, a lot of innovation and the ability to bring capital in. You mentioned the UK. It's not just the big four. Law firms can go public. So like, it is still lawyers running those organizations, but they can take outside capital to try to scale the advice and the things that they're trying to do in ways that I think should be exciting for lawyers too. Um, it, well, it, how it clever is, us American lawyers are. Very clever. For themselves <laughs> that will keep us forever employed. Um, ge- geniuses we all are. That's right. You know, so we can have sort of like the the ethical debate over whether or not a law firm should be beholden to shareholders versus their clients and, and so on and so forth. If you accept like the underlying premise that these those two things may in certain circumstances or certain circumstances be at odds. 
um, which is not necessarily the case, but God bless America. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what can we do here to empower better legal services to be provided to clients through utilizing technology, through the structure that we already have? Because while it may be inching towards change, it's not going to happen anytime soon, soon. So it seems like what LexFusion has done is really curated a group of Uh, non-competitive technologies as best in class and saying, okay, legal professionals, whether you sit in-house, whether you are running a law firm or or managing, you know, uh, hundreds of lawyers, here on a silver platter, we've given you really the best and most interesting tools to make you the best and most efficient and awesome at whatever it is that you guys do. And those are sort of like distinct customer bases too, your corporate versus your law firm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, even let me first tackle the the, the concept of best in class. Like um, we we don't have the hubris to say that every choice we made is literally the single best. We do have the confidence to say that these are excellent solutions. So a little bit like if you, you know, go into a high-end boutique store, you're not seeing every excellent piece of clothing in the world ever made, but you are seeing hopefully an excellent curated set of things that that you might want to buy and you might want to think about. That's the way we think about like our choice. Every single one of these, we've, put it, we've done a ton of homework, we've been in the industry, and we think they are excellent. It doesn't mean there aren't other excellent choices. Um, there certainly so you're are. Like, you're like the legal innovation boutique. Yeah, yeah. You're like so, the legal innovation boutique that like, I want to buy all of my cool technology products from, just like the fancy shoe boutique that like, <laughs> I want to buy all my stilettos from. I, I, I always aspired to run a shoe store. So absolutely. <laughs> but I think, I, I think what we can agree on is like all the things we have in our cohort are things that law firms and corporate counsel should be paying attention to uh, and, and, and should at least uh, spend the time and do the homework. And, and uh, as we know with, you know, uh, Bill Henderson writes a lot about this diffusion and legal is incredibly slow. So if we can, if we can do nothing more than highlight the categories of legal innovation, that we know are shovel ready, ready to give uh, real improvement to the to the practice and the administration of law now. And we get you know most companies and most law firms paying attention to those categories. We think we'll put rocket fuel on the acceleration of these individual companies, our members who we absolutely want to grow. Um, we absolutely have skin in the game and, and believe in them. Um, we, we think that will happen naturally because they're great choices. Uh, so, sorry, you you had one other question there. Oh. Uh, give an I have, example. I have, so, I have, I have so many <laughs> questions all the time. I got all day. I mean, I have nothing to do here. It's not like we're running. What did I like? Remind me, what did I ask you? What did I want you to say? I, I think, I think oh, the other thing was, you know, to, to kind of give an example of, uh, of technologies where we're not taking away legal work. We're making legal work better. And I think one really great example of that is one of our members ping is an AI timekeeping software. I think there's one, and I wrote an article about them a long time ago and really fell in love with the company. Um, um, I, I think I, I opened the article uh, making a joke about how whenever people talk about innovation in AI, they think about it taking over things that they do and they want to do. And the great thing about Ping is it takes over something that nobody wants to do and nobody profits from, and that's timekeeping. It sits in the background. To me, it's the highest, best use of AI. It sits in the background and pays attention to what you do and then gives you a, a description that you have to approve. You're still fully in control as a lawyer at the end of the day of what it believes that you did 
very specifically with specificity down to like the type of research you're doing and for which client and what billing code and can get you through uh, what is in a horrible, inevitable slog for every lawyer that brings no benefit to them and no benefit to their client, no benefit to the administration of the firm and does it quicker and actually picks up on a lot of little things like quick emails that people uh, fire off that they forget that add up to, to you know, often a significant amount of time per day. Um, and then even better, clients are more willing to pay those bills because they're they're more specific and show the actually very diverse set of things that a lawyer does on a given day and often forgets about because they're so busy. So th- there's a technology. It's, it's an so, amazing. Sorry. It's funny. Lawyers hate it so much. They're like, okay, like we've been having to keep track of our time. This whole like rate times time model is how the entire industry has been built. And like, we hate it so much. Like, let's talk about alternative fee arrangements. <laughs> like we hate it so much. We were like, let's talk about, you know, success kickers and flat fees and you totally. know, so on and so forth. And a lot of, a lot of clients, as, as many of them like say that they want alternative fee arrangements are like, no, we're very, com- like, we're very comfortable. Yeah. We're very w- comfortable with time. So please give us our discount and continue to keep your time as you've been keeping it this entire time. And Absolutely. we're all on our end, like foiled again, <laughs> like, yeah. foiled again. So it sounds like, uh, you know, a tool like that is incredibly different than most of the timekeeping software that most that I've ever used at any law firm uh, that I've been at. And that frankly, I'm using at my law firm currently that I run. So maybe I should, yeah, get, we'll, on, I should we'll, get on we'll, that, Joe. We'll talk about that later, but definitely. Yeah. But, but what's so cool about it is um, if you, if you just like, you know, take a little momentary thought experiment about what this could mean in the future. Once you have uh, an objective understanding monitored by, you know, really smart AI to know how much time you're really spending on the component parts of litigation or deal work or whatever it is, you start getting to a point as the data gets bigger and bigger that you actually can do those uh, value-based fees in a way that's truly educated as opposed to, you know, I don't know if things have gotten way better in the last 10 years, but I used to genuinely work 12 hours a day, maybe longer. But did I remember what things I did in that day? Absolutely not. And I was like estimating and guesstimating because no one was looking over my shoulder. So to me, this is like a little AI robot helper sitting over your shoulder, calmly, quietly picking up the pieces of your life, and hopefully giving them back to you. So it's things like that. And like, I have never told that to one lawyer who hasn't said, yeah, I'd like to at least see it. And, that, and, and that's where Lex Fusion comes in. Like we're presenting ideas that if you give me the minute to explain it, you're going to say, yeah, like I should at least be thinking about that. I don't think there's a single technology or service in our cohort where where people won't have that, that same feeling that, man, that's something I should at least be paying attention to and maybe buying in a big way. Cool. So I know there's another company that's in your uh, consortium that I thought had a pretty cool model that I hadn't really explored before. Um, and that was a company called Priori. Can you yeah. tell, us, tell us a little bit about what they do? And it's a good day for this because Priori just uh, secured, I think, $6 million plus in, in additional funding today. There was a press release. Um, hope I'm not Mazel. getting that wrong. Mazel. Yeah, very exciting for that. them. Um, it was founded by two women who graduated from Yale Law together. So uh, an incredibly... Lady, yeah. lady lawyer army. I love lady it. Lady lawyer, credentialed as hell. Like, you know, one of the things I started doing early in, in early days with the above law article was I, I had this impression that there was this disdain. It's not true anymore, but 10 years ago, 
ago it was, uh, this disdain for lawyers that, that quit practice and that they were all, you know, a bunch of losers that couldn't cut it. And, and yet I was seeing these entrepreneurs who went to the best law schools and worked at the best law firms and, and really were idealistic and optimistic about what they could do to make legal better. And I think that the, the leadership team at Priory represents the best of that, but they basically created a, uh, a, a legal marketplace where if let's say your, your, your in-house count, this one is geared more towards in-house counsel, though there are a lot of applications for law firms as well. If you're in-house counsel and you have a niche uh, matter in in Arizona, and you don't know any lawyers in Arizona, and you don't know any lawyers that handle this niche practice. You your traditional way of doing business was to literally get on the phone with your law school buddies or my partner Paul Strogo, who probably handles forty of these calls a day, and and ask who do you know in Arizona and who do you know that knows IP XYZ. Um, and look, sometimes you luck out and you get somebody great, um, but it's it, it is the least scientific uh, thing in the world. It leads to obviously some bias because you get. People like yourself. Um, if you know, if your friends tend to be like you, you tend to get other people like you. You also have absolutely no transparency into the resume, the work they've had before, um, and uh, and pricing. You have absolutely no uh, no way to, to gauge whether that, that that pricing is fair unless you do three of those chains of phone calls, which are you know very time consuming and and unscientific. Priori turns that entire process on its head. They have lawyers in their database who have already been pre-screened, have all their um, kind of biographical data in there. You type in and it's amazing. It's like an ad libs. You start just typing in little words that fill out um, in, in, I think, under five minutes, probably three minutes, like a little paragraph in plain English as to what you want, what you want to pay, and what's important to you. Because what's important to you is different. Like maybe you want uh, someone from Yale Law because you want to intimidate the other side. Maybe you don't think this is important and it's all about money. Like, I don't want to pay more than $200 an hour. You pick what's important to you. It then sends that that instant RFP out to its team. People bid back so they know they're in a competitive bidding situation, which reduces prices massively. They're already confirming that they can do the work and they have the time, that they have the expertise. You then get their resumes and you can interview them through video chat right through the platform. So the amount, yeah. Um, I can see why in-house counsel might super, super love this for... Mm -hmm. A variety of reasons, um, getting to know new businesses, new law firms that you wouldn't have ever had an opportunity to engage with before, um, getting some diversity of thought in there so you don't have like sort of the same repeat player situation. I'm curious as to, is this a platform that big law utilizes or is yeah. it more of a small to mid-sized thing? So th there's definitely a, a great question. There's definitely a, like, like there's, there's an initial value prop that I think is even more clear for smaller firms and solos and people that, you know, left Quinn Emanuel and now have a four person shop. Um, but, uh, or uh, like you, maybe they work in Chicago and left two big law firms and like maybe, now have a 20 person shop and like, Maybe I happen to be the managing partner there. Like, yeah, and, and maybe just for argument's sake. And maybe in one niche thing, you are 
unequivocally the best out there. And I think that can be true whether you're in a big law firm or, or not. And you want to be a, you want to bring a lightning rod to that skill set. I think this allows you to be a lightning rod because as people fill out that mini RFP, when they know very specifically what they want, you're just going to, the, the, you're, you're going to rise to the top. Um, at, check out the press release today because one of the investors uh, in this new round was Oric. So there is definitely interest from big law as well. Uh, and I, I actually think in, in the long run, it would, it will help individual oh God, lawyers. I have, I have so many opinions about why a big law firm would invest in a platform like that, but <laughs> I am going to I am going to keep them to myself. Uh, competitive intelligence. I, I, I very, can't imagine. Competitive intelligence is a very powerful thing, don't you think, Joe? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> hi, yeah, friends, so, hi, friends at Oric. I totally right. just said that. No, but like you and you're and you're totally right. I, I I will say and like this isn't. I'm not here to do an org plug, but like when when Ralph Baxter w- was managing partner, when we were in really early days at Pangea Three, uh, Ralph brought me and the managing director, the head of the business at the time, out to their Wheeling, West Virginia facility, which was really cutting edge to to create like a low cost center for everything the law firm did. First of all, it was beautiful. Like they made the space amazing because they wanted that that facility to be like a central part of the firm and people want to work there and that the business side of law was incredibly important and introduced me to, to, to Wendy, who's still there and running innovation. They have always cared about being kind of one step ahead and paying attention to what's around the corner. So I really do, I, you kind of have to give it to, to, to Oric that they like for at least 10, if not 20 years, they've thought about this thing that only became hot for the rest of us in the past five or 10. Yeah. Way to, uh, way to be smart. Yeah. Respect. Yeah, no, I, I do. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's tough out there in big law. Like, like, you know, some people are still, you know, running off the fumes of, of, a, of a reputation they earned a hundred years ago. Um, but there are more and more firms. Um, I, I would say, especially in the UK, uh, A&O in particular, that, that, that really do constantly think about how to do things better, which is really cool. I think from a practitioner's standpoint, um, it really gives a practitioner, the opportunity to focus on what it is that they want to be and have like a lot of control over their perception, obviously being part of that kind of marketplace and access to clients that like you wouldn't otherwise have the ability to pitch is also incredibly valuable. But I love sort of the exercise of sort of looking inward and doubling down and being like, what makes me special as a lawyer? What's my superpower? Because being a general commercial litigator anymore, unless you are just like the best of the best trial lawyer, for example, like dime a dozen, Mm -hmm. a lot of really, like there's a lot of really amazing litigators out there. So I think it forces practitioners to like really convey their personal value proposition uh, in a way. Otherwise, like they're, they're not going to get, they're not going to be competitive anymore. And then that, totally ultimately agree. that's good for their business. That's good yeah. for their practice going through that exercise. Yep. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I sound like a broken record, but this stuff is this stuff is exciting, and and at least for the rest of both of our careers, people that are paying attention are are, are going to grow their businesses through legal tech, not the other way around. Uh, one example I like to give yeah. is, is is the LPO industry. Like I, everyone, everyone told me as we were you know as we were growing from you know three hundred to five hundred to a thousand lawyers in India and Poland and 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 uh, parts of the U.S. Oh, this is going to c- collapse big law firms, and like it, it didn't happen. At at all 
And, and, and in fact, in, the, in that same decade, profits per partner went up. They went up above inflation. They were not um, parabolic like they were before the uh, financial crisis, but they went up. And that tells me that there's untapped demand. As, as technologies and services bring down costs modestly, you have more and more small and mid-sized companies, more and more litigations that simply wouldn't be brought because they're not cost-effective. Uh, and then, of course, more defenses that are defending against those litigations. Because I, you know, I, I think that there's there's just un, untapped demand, and that's from the bottom of the market to the top. Um, th- this stuff is going to grow the pie. Who's going to get those pieces remains to be seen. But the overall, I, I believe firmly that the overall legal pie, the amount of revenue and spend, both nationally and internationally, on legal and quasi-legal services is going to go up and it's going to go up fast. And uh, I I think everybody should see this as an exciting time. You do have to think about how to get your piece. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably one of those people that's paying attention and uh, that puts you way ahead of the game. Well, you know that, uh, you know, personally that that's been a view of mine for many, many years. Absolutely. Um, And part of the reason actuate uh, actuate law in Chicago exists as does our reg tech subsidiary coin tech, because I, I firmly believe that lawyers can be better versions uh, of themselves and provide better client service. And you guys have put your money where your mouth is, you know, quite literally. Yeah, quite literally. And I, and no, it I, took and courage. I, I think it's big, awesome. Yeah. And I have a big mouth. So, like, <laughs> you know, had to be a lot of money, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, a lot of t- a lot of time, a lot of effort, but but it really is where uh, the future is going. And I think at one point we all should be looking at the clients that we're serving, and really in so many industries, watching how innovation is changing the client industries that we're serving, and saying why aren't we doing that? Like why oh, yeah. aren't we mimicking and mirroring the innovation at the rate? Uh, and at the pace that our clients are. And quite honestly, like I got jealous. I was like my clients in the technology space and, you know, in FinTech, like they're doing awesome things. Like I would also like to be that awesome instead of like just giving them advice about whether or not, you know, they're violating the fair credit reporting act. Like I want to be awesome too. Yeah. And uh, we can and be you, awesome. Like, like, like lawyers can do. Do you hear that lawyers? Joe yeah. Gorstein said that you can be awesome too. Um, well, maybe not you listener, but other people for sure. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding, listener. You can well, um, sure. so I think step the the next step uh, to those of us that that want to be awesome or consume more awesome legal technology services is to get on your computer uh, and start googling LexFusion and taking a look at what Joe Borstein and my good friend Paul Stroka are up to. It's really been a pleasure to watch. This has been so much fun to watch you and Paul over the years uh, through your uh, various organizations. Full fat, fun fact: I used to actually work with Paul back when we both worked at a at a big Amlaw 100 firm, and watching sort of like our careers take like very divergent, but now sort of like reconverging paths has been totally. really exciting. Um, you guys have always pushed the envelope um, and always been such trusted resources for so many of us within the legal community. I oh. I think you guys are, I think you guys are going to crush it. Um, so, uh, Joe, if people want to learn more about LexFusion, where do they go? LexFusion.com or joe.borstein at LexFusion.com. Just email me. I write hundreds of emails a day and I will get back to you. Joe, it's It's been a pleasure. (laughs) It's not sad. That is dedication, right? Dedication. That is dedication, uh, to the, to the mission. (laughs) 
And now Alexa, like my Alexa is listening to me right now. And she, she goes, knows it's about technology. She knows it's about technology. She's like, she's like, Dara, let's, let's get me in on that. Let's talk, baby. <laughs> um, speaking of AI and voice powered AI, uh, it's been a pleasure, Joe. Thank you to all of my listeners once again, until next time. 